Well, we are ready to do our fifth lesson out of Psalm 119. So turn with me there. Psalm 119, and this lesson I've entitled, Sustained by My Roots. We're doing a lot of root thinking, because all of Psalm 119 is about God's Word. Whoops, thank you, darling. I always forget that. That will, that will work better. But all of uh, Psalm 119 is focused on God's Word, the many different facets and ways in which our lives are confronted by, enriched by, comforted by uh, the, the Word of God. And we as a people, the very fact that you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, hey, God's Word matters to me. I want to learn it. I want to know more about it. I want somebody to help me, guide me. Uh, they might be down the path a little further than me. Bring me along. Teach me something. Let God's Word you know, enrich my life, confront my life, encourage me in, in times of my life. So God's Word is the center of all of these studies. And last week we talked about freedom. And those of you that came back, thank you so very much. I was afraid I was running you all off. But uh, uh, today we're going to talk about something a little less controversial. Today's lesson starts in verse 65. So 119.65. Let me just read you this particular stanza so you can kind of get a a flow. It's called uh, uh, the Taith section. And it says, do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgments, for I trust your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. You're good. And what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. The two parts in this particular one that I wanted to talk about today are verse 67 and verse 71. And really verse 75 picks it up and verse 107 does as well. But he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. And the one that's particularly challenging is verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted. I don't know. That's a hard thing to say. You know, sometimes spiritual people will make it sound like that's so easy. Well, obviously I'm not spiritual because it is not easy to say, hey, the bottom just fell out of my life and and, and it's great. (laughs) You know, it was good for me to be whatever. To, to suddenly be a widow or widower. It was good for me to have, you know, financial ruin. It was good for me to hear the report from the doctor. It was good for... It was? Yeah. That's the, that's the case that we're going to make today. Let me start our thinking by giving you an illustration out of World War II. How many of you know who Corey Tin Boom is? You know who Corey is? All right, a lot of you do. If you don't, uh, some great books to read about her and by her. Uh, she was a remarkable woman. Her and her family were hiding Jews during World War II and eventually got caught. And uh, she and her sister Betsy were sent to the same, uh, same concentration camp. I believe it was Ravensbrück, if I remember correctly. She's nodding her head, so it must be Ravensbrück. Anyway, they got sent to a, a terrible concentration camp. And um, one of the things that just wigged Corey out, I don't know that it would have been on the top of my list, but it was on the top of her list, were the fleas. So they were just everywhere. It was a you know, wooden bunk beds, dormitory kind of thing, 
tons and tons of women jammed in there. They don't have clean clothes. They don't have clean bedding, if they have bedding at all. And their fleas were everywhere. And Corey, you know, was just on a rant about these fleas. Just hated them every day, whining and complaining to Betsy about the dumb fleas. I would have had a long list of things to complain about. I don't know if the fleas would have been on there, but probably. But she was on a, on a tear about those dumb fleas. Now, one of the things that happened was they were able to hide a small Bible in some of their possessions. And so every evening, they would get the Bible out, and then the two of them would begin to, to read it and encourage each other in God's Word. Well, other women in the, in the dormitory there, in the, that part of the concentration camp, kind of heard about it, and somebody else would come over and start listening in, and well, they, they would share to her, and someone else would listen in, and whatever. And they were always afraid that the guards would see them gathering. And if the guards saw anybody gathering, they'd start screaming, separate them, stomp in there, make a big scene. But as the fleas got worse... The guards didn't want to go in there. You know where this is going, right? And after a little while, because the fleas were so bad, the guards would not go in the dormitory. And every night, with great freedom, out came the Bible, and everyone in the dormitory could come, and they preached Jesus as freely as if they were in their own home, because of the dumb fleas. And one day, Betsy called that to Corey's attention. It's the fleas. God is good, and he gave us fleas. I, I think about that story when I'm prone to, to, to whine about whatever the circumstances are in my own life. And that's essentially what the writer is going to say to us. God sent fleas, and it was good. You could put in something besides the word fleas there, but that's his contention. So let's, let's jump in. So the place for, for me to start in this is to make certain that, that you and I understand that God is essentially good. He is not mean. He is not cranky. He is not upset. He abhors evil. He loves us. He wants only our best. But his definition of best and mine are not always the same. And the way I usually describe that is you as parents can relate to this so easily. You have a delicious dessert. All right, over the weekend, since it was my birthday weekend, I asked for cake and pumpkin pie. So I, I, I'm a pumpkin pie aficionado. I like the one from Caro's, all right, or Coco's. I guess it's Coco's. I had to drive far and wide to find one. This, these guys down here weren't baking. So I had to go to another Coco's to find my, my pumpkin pie. For whatever reason, I like that. Don't like Costco. Thank you. Don't get me one. It's not quite the right taste. Anyway. So I, I ordered up two pumpkin pies, and I wanted a big sheet cake from, from Costco. Now, bear in mind, for the last eight months, I've not been eating any sugar. So we got to the mountains. Well, actually, before we ever got to the mountains, I got up on Friday morning and said, it's time for a piece of pie. <laughs> and I had a piece of pie. Now, pumpkin pie should have a double portion of Cool Whip. So if the pie is this thick... Cool Whip should be that thick on all sides. You should not be able to see the brown at all. And I had one of those for breakfast. And then we got up to the mountains and we had lunch and I had another piece for dessert. And then a little later in the afternoon we were playing cards, which by the way, I brought the trophy home. Thank you very much. Anyway, we were playing cards and it was time for a piece of cake. So by the time my actual birthday, when I went to bed, I had had three pieces of pumpkin pie and two pieces of chocolate cake in one 12 hour period of time. And I wondered why my stomach bothered me for the next three days. 
If you were a parent with me on Friday at some appropriate time, you would have said, sweetie, sweet pea, I love you, that's enough. <laughs> not because you're mean, not because you don't like it, like me, or don't want me to have something that was making me very, very happy, but you knew better. Three pieces of pumpkin pie in a 12-hour period of time is not a good idea. Two more pieces of chocolate cake thrown in just on top, definitely over, overboard. And as a good parent, you would step in and say, that is not good for you. And I know that, so stop. But God is good. He's not mean. He's not looking out to, to withhold from you something like, oh, she would really be delighted with, so I'll keep it. I won't make, yeah. God is not like that. He is good. Look at Psalm, you're in Psalm 119. Go back to Psalm 107 just for a second. Psalm 107. We're getting in our minds the fact that God is indeed good. Psalm 107, verse number 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Statement of fact. His love endures forever. Now back into our Psalm 119. The second thing I want you to get is that you are good and what you do is good. Look at verse 68. You are good and what you do is good. God is interested in our best. Not necessarily allowing me to have my third piece of pumpkin pie. That might not have been the wisest choice. But God is interested in my good and doing good for me. James chapter 1 in the New Testament talks about every good gift comes from above. When you are really enjoying something, whether it's a sunset or a piece of pumpkin pie, you should be able to turn to the Lord and say, this is good. And it came from you. The sunset was, was, was painted for me today. Thank you. This is good. This piece of pumpkin pie, the first one, that was good. It was all right. It was a good thing for me. God is interested in giving good gifts to his kids. Much like as a parent, you're interested in doing good gifts for your kids. But you know there has to be a limit. When, when a child is, you know, six years old and handed the keys to a, a Corvette, that is inappropriate. It's wrong. It's not good. But we act like when God doesn't give us the keys to the Corvette, that somehow he's being mean to us. We have to understand every good gift comes from above. Might not be the right time for something. He has good plans for us. We often quote Jeremiah 29, 11, but, but go look at the context for Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a tough set of circumstances when he writes that he has good plans for them. Again, definition of good. My de that definition of good plans for Friday was three pieces of pumpkin pie and two pieces of chocolate cake. Anyone with their right mind would not have defined goodness that way. God understands what is really good. Sometimes struggle is really good. And you as a parent know that. You're watching your child try to master something. And they get frustrated. If you bail them out, and that's one of my gripes against a lot of parents today, is they don't let their kids struggle. They don't let them try. They don't let them fail. How do you get better unless you try and fail? It is a good thing that your kid comes home and says, I can't do it. Now you sit down with him and you say, all right, let's look at it. Can I help? A little more practice. Let's get a tutor. Let's think about it. But you keep going. Bailing us out is not necessarily goodness. God may let circumstances come that ultimately are for my good, but I would not have defined them as good. But God is in the business of having good plans for us. His will is good. And he stores up good things for his kids. You're still in Psalms. Go to Psalm 31. 
Psalm 31, verse number 11. Psalm 31, verse number 11. Because of my enemies... Wait a minute, let me see if I've got the right one. Psalm 31, 11. Because of my enemies, I'm not a That is not the right verse. Sorry, I could tell that right off. Let's choose the other one I have written there because that's probably not a mistake. 84.11. Let's go to Psalm 84.11. I may have written this while I was under a a cloud of sugar. Um, (laughs) 84.11. For the Lord, there we go. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. He is interested in storing up good things for you and for me. So what we have to be careful about is this definition of good. Good does not mean fun, necessarily. It may sometimes. It doesn't necessarily mean enjoyable. I've had some good experiences that were very, very, very hard. And I would not have wished them on anyone. I would have not chose, chose it if it was in, in, a, in a list that I could check off. But when I went through it, I looked back and said, oh... That was good. The definition of good is not what I might define as as good. It might be difficult to endure. It might hurt for a season. But ultimately, God is promising us in in our passage in Psalm 119 that he is in charge and doing good. It takes an element of trust on our part, especially during the times that's very difficult. Um... By nature, I I think I want to introduce the topic of goodness by saying this. By nature, you and I are not good. We are under the curse. Romans chapter 5 says, Adam entered the world, made a wrong choice, and a curse came on the world. We are sinners by birth. But I quickly am a sinner by choice. I can't blame it on him because I confirm it in my own choices in my own life very quickly. I am not by nature good, meaning perfect. Moral standard. I'm not. I fall short. We've talked about this before. What, what is true, though, that in Christ, I now have his goodness. We are declared good in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 9. Not because we earned it, but because it has been imposed upon us by, by the righteousness of Christ. So the bottom line for us to understand as we dive into this passage is that the scripture is saying it is good that I was afflicted. That is a statement of truth. And we need to get our arms around that. Now this term afflicted, it might also be translated humbled. It was good that I was humbled. You ever do something and and you're feeling a little puffed up about it and all of a sudden the bottom falls out and, and there you are and whatever, you're all together and it's not such a cool moment. And afterwards you see where God was doing a work in your heart. You got a little haughty, got a little something. You got to got put that, nobody but me has ever been in this scenario. Okay, great. Thank you. I so appreciate that support. It, it is really true that this, this word afflicted could also be translated humble. Or any kind of trial, any kind of suffering. It's not just physical suffering. It could be emotional, it could be psychological, it could be family, it could be kids, it could be husband, it could be finances. It could be anything that we wouldn't have necessarily have chosen it. But it's ours. And ultimately, God is going to use it for good. I put a chart down there just to kind of make sure we are all on the same page. 
that suffering or affliction comes in all kinds of forms. I, I found this chart a few years ago, and I really liked it. It helped me. It kind of looked at, you know, four different ways that we look when things are difficult. Four different ways we respond. Four different conditions that happen when something bad is going on in our life. So the first one, which is, it's not so bad. We're just kind of down. You see that category? And then the next one over is, well, now we're discouraged. We've gone from being down to, to discouraged. Then the next one that if it keeps going or it's a little more harsh, we might actually find ourselves in some sort of, of true depression. And then the last category, when, when, when dealing with things that are difficult, we might find ourselves actually in a, in a, in a situation of despair. Now, in my own personal life, I have never had this scenario where I have been in despair. But I have known plenty of people who have. I can't personally relate to that, but I can say, well, so-and-so I knew, and they had, and whatever, so I can relate to it. But, but, but all of us have had periods of down. All of us have had periods when, when we're discouraged. And probably a good portion of us have had situations where there was a level of, dis, uh, of de- depression of one kind or another. Now, what, those moments of depression in my life have been fleeting. They have not been long. I've not, I've not had that, that very dark cloud that lasts for a long period of time. Maybe some of you have, and that is a difficult scenario. But you see the categories. So now down the left-hand side, I want to I look at what it looks like. So if you're down, it's a, it's a sad face. It's a tough morning, you know. It's until you get your third cup of coffee or until you have a chance to talk to your husband and clear it up or until you take two aspirin and the headache clears. It's, it's just a, it's not a big deal. Um, but, you know, uh, if you are suffering through some real discouragement, all the joy's gone out of life. No matter what, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, you know, kick up any joy. There, there's some issue. That, that's going on. Maybe it's in you, maybe it's in your kids, maybe it's in your husband, maybe it's financial. doesn't matter what it is, but there's an issue. Um, depression, you know, it, it, looks, it looks a lot more serious. It is a, it's not just an episodic sadness, it's a cloud of sadness. It's just sitting there. It's not going anywhere. And often these, these men or women have that, that very difficult sense of helplessness. I, I don't know what to do. I got, got no choices. They feel like they're they're just stuck. And ultimately, it looks like despair. And despair is, is on the outward side, maybe very extreme, or on the inward side, very extreme. There is an overwhelming sense of helplessness. And that's why when, when folks get to the place of feeling like suicide is their only choice, they've been in despair a while. They are out of options. Now, you and I might look at them and say, well, wait a minute, you've got family that loves you. And blah, blah, blah. But from their perspective... They have suffered so much, they're in that, they see no options. So how long does it last? We already talked about downness is brief. Maybe discouragement is temporary. Depression, it feels like a season in many people's lives. Um, and then, and despair is it, it never goes away. It's just there all the time. Um, I love this question, who suffers it? Well, down, everybody. You know, if you're going to be honest, this last week there was a moment somewhere when there was a, a sense of downness, unless you're just an unusual woman. But um, there's downness all around us. It happens for, for fleeting reasons all day long every day. But discouragement, mm, most of us at one time or another, it's a very rare person that says, I've never been discouraged. Probably they don't have any children. That's their problem. 
uh, or been married or worked anywhere or, you know, gone to church or lived in a neighborhood or, you know. So who suffers depression? Some of us. Some of us. A growing number, I think, in our culture. And who, who finds themselves in despair? A few of us. Um, is there some biblical examples of this? I thought this might be helpful for you to chase down on your own maybe some other time. Um, discouragement. Yes, there are all kinds of examples of people that get discouraged in the Bible. The, the, the two that are mentioned here, um, the one I want to cause to your, bring to your attention is in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah has come back from, from uh, exile and his job is to build the wall around Jerusalem so the temple can be built and they can restore worship and all, that, all those things. And in the middle of it, uh, the workers come and they are, they are very discouraged. And their comment is there's too much rubble. So the, the guys that destroyed Jerusalem and knocked down the, the, the temple and the wall and, and trying to get in there to, to rebuild, there was just too much rubble. Sometimes I've said to the Lord, you know what, Lord, there's just too much rubble in my life right now. And, and the rubble might be you <laughs> or, or your kids or a set of circumstances that I'm in or a health thing or whatever, but, but rubble in our lives. There's just too much rubble around me right now. That, that is an, a, a crystal clear biblical example of somebody that gets discouraged. And, and Nehemiah comes up with a very practical solution to that. So go look up at Nehemiah 4 and kind of get a, a handle on that. Are there some biblical examples of, of depression? Yeah, in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about when someone loses a loved one, he's referring to the, the person who's tried to put their arms around the death of someone they love. And he says, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those that have no hope. Uh, in my lifetime, well, let me say this. In Bible college, we were sitting around one day talking about what we wanted to do, you know, as, as people that were going to serve the Lord full time. And uh, I made a comment at the time. I don't know what other kinds of things I'll ever do, but I know two things that I will never be involved in for ministry. One of them is I want nothing to do with hospital. It's a creepy place. What do you say? People are sick. I never know what to say. I want nothing to do with hospitals. And funerals, no way, Jose. I don't want to go to them, and I certainly don't want to be the one leading them. Those of you that know me are already chuckling. I spend half my time in hospitals. I am more comfortable in hospitals than anywhere else. I love going to the hospital. Um, And I personally have officiated at 15 funerals. 15. The one that was the hardest was a couple I knew in my old, old church, and their father passed away. He was not a believer. Half the family was not a believer. Only really the girl who asked me to do the service knew the Lord. Oh, that's fun. And add on, half the family hated the other half of the family. I'm not kidding. In the funeral home, the, the Hatfield sat on this side and the McCoys sat on this side. And they're, and they're throwing spit wads at each other. Not literally, but might just as well. What do you say in a situation like that? Well, you say nothing about the person who's passed away. And you talk about the gospel. I, I, I'm using that as an example just to say... There are times when people grieve, but they grieve like they have no hope. If you lose a loved one and you know where they are and where you're going to be with them, yes, you are still distraught and discouraged and brokenhearted, but not grieving like those that have no hope. 
So there, there is a difference uh, in, in some examples here that the Bible would share about depression. And then despair. Is there are some, some biblical examples of that? Yes. And if you find yourself encroaching in this category, I urge you to go look at 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19 is a story about Elijah, who has a very high moment spiritually, and then the bottom falls out. And how does God deal with Elijah when the bottom fell out? In fact, he got to the place where he says, I have had enough, take my life. If you've never been to that, I've had enough spot, praise the Lord, but it is a terrifying position to be in. And there's a biblical example of how God dealt with Elijah at that time. So what helps these people? Well, if it's just being down, some distraction helps. Uh, A a piece of music, uh, a phone call with a friend, um, a piece of uh, chocolate cake. Um, A a slight distraction will probably do it. What, What helps with discouragement? Well, obviously the opposite of that, encouragement. Which is why you and I should be such encouraging people. You all walked in here today. I don't know what's going on exactly in your lives. I can read some, but they're hiding behind those things now, and it's even harder. I appreciate you doing that. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. That way we can keep having Bible study. But it's hard. I don't know what you walked in here with. But I guarantee that maybe a third of you walked in heavy-hearted this morning. So wouldn't it be great if before you walked out, somebody somewhere said something that was encouraging and uplifting and and helped? That's one of the joys of working in a place like Stony Brook. You can't walk 20 feet in that building without being encouraged. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to slip you a note. Somebody's going to write you something. Somebody's going to hit you with an email or a text. You want to surround yourself with those kind of people. That they're going to be an encouragement to you because you need it. I don't care how put together you are. I don't care how wonderful your marriage is or how great your kids are or financially you're in great shape or whatever. There's still a need in our soul. We need encouragement. What about depression? Well, what you need there maybe is, is, is the professional guidance of somebody that can take God's word and walk you through things. It might be a professional counselor. It might be a, 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 a Bible teacher. Hello. It might be a friend at church. It might be someone that, that you feel comfortable sharing with. But they're going to take God's word and they're going to lead you directly to, a, to, a, to, in some, to some encouragement. And what if there's despair? I think the response to, to help that person is intervention. This is not a moment to give them a piece of pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie ain't going to work. Words of encouragement in and of themselves will probably not work. That person needs some intervention. Maybe, maybe there's a physiological things and there's some, some, some imbalances somewhere in their chemical makeup and they need some medication. Let's get it for them. Let's do some direct intervention for these folks. And then I put the scriptural reminders in each category. I hope that might be helpful to get our minds thinking about the fact that suffering, even the suffering that the, the psalmist is going to say, it was good for me to have that, comes in all forms and shapes and sizes. And it's universal. Nobody gets out of it. If you uh, see Mr. Shoup, Gary Shoup here at school, and you ask him how he is, does anybody know what he says? He says, I'm terrific, but I'm getting better. That's his line. I'm terrific, but I'm getting better. Everybody has moments when you're not so terrific, including Gary. 
It is a universal thing. We all suffer in one form or another. Matthew chapter 5 talks about how blessed we are. That's that, that section that says, blessed are you when you were persecuted, when you're this, when you're that, when you're whatever. And in particularly, it says, blessed are you when people insult you. Now, that is not my favorite. I, d- I don't like it when you call me names. I, no, thank you. I don't like it when I'm misunderstood or somebody makes an assumption about something I said or did. I don't enjoy that. But what the scripture is saying is that that is, that is universal. Somebody somewhere is going to misinterpret you. They're going, to, they're going to say something about you that's not 100% accurate. They're going to draw a conclusion because they saw something. And, and it's going to come back and bite you. It's universal. Emotional trials are universal. And it's not just because we're women. Men just process it differently. It's exactly the same for them. They just handle it differently. There's nobody that can raise their hand and say, you know, I got it all together. Right here. Got it balanced. No problem. Never do I have any difficulty. Ha, 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 ha. It's a fib. What about physical pain? That's pretty inevitable. Now, you might go a whole long time in your life and not have a lot. Or you might be one of those people that just drew that straw and God said, this is for you. But everyone at some point or another is going to have physical difficulties. I was on the phone last night, first thing this morning, with a dear friend back in, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And his wife had surgery yesterday. Should have been a no-brainer. little hernia, fix it up, get home. She'll be home in two hours. And, and it became a four-hour surgery, much more extensive. And apparently there was a little bleed and her blood pressure you know, collapsed. And rushed her into ICU and all night long trying to figure it out. And to, this morning they discovered, yep, she's bleeding a little bit. And they're not sure whether they have to go back in or not. This woman has had... If I, if I remember correctly, four or five surgeries with this same surgeon. It's just her lot, short straw, I don't know. It is inevitable, though, that something will hurt sometime because you're dying. We spend a lot of our time in our culture denying that. We do. Now, nothing wrong with the appropriate amount of self-control and self-discipline that allows us to work out and so on and so forth. That's all good, not, not a problem. But if we're using it to, to kind of fake ourselves out that we're not really decaying, it's a fake out. We are decaying. Something's going to start to ache. I could mention several if you were interested. Physical pain is, is inevitable. Suffering is absolutely inevitable. It is a misconception when we look at Christians and have this attitude of, well, you know, if you were a Christian, all your problems are solved. Not so. That just sets us up for this huge fall. Well, I thought, I thought Christians weren't supposed to be depressed. Where, where did you read that? Hello? I, 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 I thought Christians weren't supposed to be discouraged. Well, not permanently, but give me a minute. Right? It sets us up for this horrible fall. If we look at each other and say, you're perfect and I'm perfect. Everything's good. Well, I'm not perfect. I suspicion you're not perfect. And it's not all all, uh, hunky-dory every day. Now, that's not to say that it's depressive or horrible or anything else on the other extreme. But we have to be careful to not set ourselves up for a ridiculous standard that Christians never have any of these difficulties. We do. They are inevitable. In, uh, in, in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 29, it says, It's been granted to you, 
that not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. It's been granted to you. Whoopee, Erica, you get to suffer. That's essentially what the scripture says. It is inevitable. Psalm 34, I put it in your notes. Many are the afflictions of the righteous of the righteous one, and Lord Jehovah delivers him from all of them. Delivers them. Not necessarily makes it go away at the moment we want it to go away, but ultimately is working for our good. When my dad said no to the second bowl of ice cream, while I didn't like it at the moment, I came to understand that the, the no sherry was out of his love and care for me. In a similar way, when we get a no from the Lord, or we get something that's less than enjoyable and as a set of circumstances, we got to trust our Heavenly Father. Pain and blessing, they run on a parallel track. The, the example of that is Jacob in Genesis chapter um, 32. Jacob's going to meet up with his brother. And, he, and he, remember, he's the one that stole his brother's birthright, stole his brother's goods, and he's not been on great term with his brother for many years. And so he's, he's, coming, he's coming home, and he's, and he's going to end up meeting up with Esau. And he's all whacked out, as we all would be. It's like going to a family reunion with your brother, and you haven't talked to him for 20 years. Pretty tough moment. And, and so the night before, he wrestles with God. Uh, he has a knockdown, drag out, literal physical wrestling with God. He says, God, I can't go. He's going to eat me up. He's going to kill my family. He's gonna, he hates my ever-loving whatever's. This is not good. I can't. And he has a wrestling match with God. At the end of the wrestling match, God's convincing him, you're going to be okay. But the Bible says he touched his thigh. So for the rest of his life, Jacob limped. Now, Jacob limped not because God didn't love him. Or that God wasn't going to make it okay with his brother. He did. But it, the blessing and, and, the, and, the, and the painful thing ran on a, uh, you know, pain and blessing ran on a parallel track. He got the blessing of the restored relationship to his brother, but he got the physical reminder to maintain his humility for the rest of his life. That happens. Pain and blessing sometimes run on parallel tracks. I learned more about the depth of God's love for me through pain than anything else in my life. They run on parallel tracks. So when we say no pain, no thank you, no affliction, no thank you. I don't want any harm, no difficulty. I want my kids to sail through life. You've cheated them of an ability to grow and drink from a well that they they need to learn how to access. Your kids should come home someday from school and say, it was a horrible day. Nobody talked to me and I got an F. That's a good day. You should know it is. Yes, it is. Because they have an opportunity now to, to be encouraged by you to give some biblical principles about if you're going to be a good friend, if you want friends, how do you be a friend? It says you, you have to step. Did you step out? Did you? Here's some skills. Let's work on those tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. What'd you get the F in? Oh, yeah, you're struggling with that. All right, we'll work on that. You're not great at everything. Those are good messages. Those similar kind of messages come to us from our Heavenly Father. So blessing and pain sometimes run on parallel tracks. So what's the purpose? Why does God go through this affliction stuff? Is there any any, any reasons? Well, the first one I put in your notes is the most obvious one. And 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 it is, he wants to display the works of God. He wants us to see that God is bigger than us. He wants us to turn and rely on him. When the blind man got healed in John 9... 
when they're, when they're asking his parents, well, is he blind because of his parents' sin? Or is he blind because of his sin? Or is he blind because somebody dropped him as an infant? What? Let's get to, the, to the, the root of the cause of the affliction. And what does the Bible say? And right there in John chapter uh, nine, in John nine verse thirty three, he says he he's, he was blind so that you can see the works of God at work. Again, in in uh, in John eleven, when Jesus' friend Lazarus, they come and screaming, he's dying or will be dead or you got to get there or oh my goodness and 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 the Bible says, wait a minute, the works of God are on display. When you and I go through affliction, there is the opportunity for the works of God to be on display. That doesn't mean it's perfect. That doesn't mean you never cry. That doesn't mean you never whine. That doesn't mean you never lean in because it's a tough day. That just means that overall, you have enough sense to say, "Mm, God is good. I know it. In the core of my soul, I know he's good. I'm going to make sure that he gets on display. Maybe through tears, maybe through gritted teeth, maybe, maybe in a painful moment. But nonetheless, I am intentionally going to say, God is good and I'm going to put him on display. What's the second reason why we might suffer? Just plain or ordinarily to get our attention. Hello, Sherry. Stomach ache, the, in, the intention of the stomach ache is to say, stop eating the sugar. You know... Pain is supposed to be an indicator. It's supposed to be, ooh, something's wrong. Tommy ache from three pieces of pumpkin pie and two pieces of chocolate cake were God's way of saying, really, you want to start throwing up or what do you want? About two more pieces of pumpkin pie and you're down for the count. Right? He gets our attention with, with affliction. You say, well, I, I didn't need him to get my attention. Oh, maybe we did. It doesn't mean that necessarily you were a horrible t- person and God was whopping you upside the head because you're this big sinful person and he wants to, you know, nail you for it. No, but just a little attention getting. For me, in my life, I can always tell when, when the balance of my life is not right. Headaches start coming, fatigue is there, I'm losing some joy. Those are indicators. So, so, so the headache is a little affliction that says, you know, maybe you should have said no to those last three things you said yes to. Maybe you ought to get a little more rest. Maybe you ought to be eating this instead. Those are attention-getting things. Sometimes he uses affliction to get our attention. Psalm 25, I put it in your notes. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring thou me out of distresses. Look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Sometimes it's a place to start. Okay, Lord, am I, am I off key here? Am I a little out of balance? Am I, is there anything that I should be doing that I'm not? It doesn't necessarily mean there. and We don't stop there, but it's a possibility. In fact, I put in your notes um, at some point. Oh, I guess I didn't put it here. I, it, somewhere else. Um, he uses in one place, he says, so-and-so and so-and-so is asleep. Paul does. And the word asleep is a euphemism for he died. He died because he was making poor choices. I keep eating five pieces of you know, dessert a day. You're going to be coming to my funeral because that ain't going to last. Sometimes God you know, uses these kinds of things to get our attention. And we need to sit up and pay attention at that. Not the only reason, but one reason. A third reason. When affliction comes in their life, sometimes it's just to help us grow. Maybe we're in status quo. We weren't, we weren't being challenged. 
And God says, all right, let's get a little challenge in there. Let's, let's mix things up a little bit. You've been cruising. Let's, uh, let's, let's put a little spice in here with a, a challenge here or a challenge there. Sometimes it's just plain for, for us to be able to be positioned to grow. Sometimes we wouldn't choose it. Sometimes, you know, we wouldn't choose to do that extra 25 sit-ups or push-ups or whatever they might be. But if we're goaded a little bit, maybe we will, and maybe it'll help us grow. A fourth reason that affliction sometimes comes is just plain to discipline us. It's not the only reason, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it's we're just off track. In fact, that's what the psalmist is saying in 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. The implication is, I went astray, I got afflicted. You get it? That's happened to me in my life. And it was very clear when the, when, when the circumstances were such that I could step back and look. I went, ah, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Stopping that right now. Whew. Not a good friendship. That one's going to bite me. That's an attitude I need to get rid of. That's something I need to start. Sometimes afflictions are there to discipline us. Sometimes, and this happens a lot... We get something so that we can have a taste of it, so we're in a position then to comfort others. The passage in 2 in Corinthians, yeah, he talks about this has happened to you so that you would know how to comfort someone else. Who is the person, when you get the call from the doctor and says, yeah, the lump is something, who's the next phone call you make to that good girlfriend that you know has already been there? They've walked down that path. Who is in the greatest position to comfort and encourage someone who lost a a child in infancy? Someone else who has lost a child. Who is the best person to talk to when the financial bottom falls out of your house? Someone else that's walked through it and can talk to you about how God was good even during those circumstances. So sometimes stuff happens. Not because we need to get him getting our attention. Not because... His, his works are necessarily on display, not because we necessarily need to grow or that there's any kind of discipline going on. It's purely so that we're now in a position to say, I've walked that path. I know what that one's like. There's a sharp turn down there. Watch for it. I'm in a position to encourage someone. And sometimes, and I put this in your notes, sometimes we just don't know and never will this side of glory. The passage that I would refer you to is in Isaiah chapter 55. This is that passage that says, his ways are not our ways. He just doesn't do it my way. He has an attention, an intention, and, and does things that are consistent with his nature and his knowledge. And they're not always consistent with my choice. And sometimes stuff happens, affliction of one form or another. There is no, I can't go through that checklist, which I always do, by the way. I have those five or six things on a piece of paper. And when the bottom falls out in a situation, because I'm so analytical, I immediately go to there. Is it this? No, I don't think so. Is it this? No, I don't think so. Is it this? Maybe. But sometimes I'll just never know. And that's the time when I have to trust. So let me give you my so what's to this, this discussion. Remember, we started by reading verses like verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Verse 75, I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Look over to 107, I think it is. 
Yeah, I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. So what's the so what to all those? Well, I wrote it this way. I read, wrote it. Yeah, I wrote it this way. I wrote it this way. It was good for me to be afflicted because now I'm obeying your word. If you're in something and you, and you can identify some, some left turns in, in your behavior or choices, then stop them. It was good for me to be afflicted because now I'm lining back up. I'm making better choices. I'm stopping that. I'm starting that. I'm working on that attitude. Good. That's a good thing. Second one, it was good for me to be afflicted because now I'm learning your word. Now I'm saying, wow, there are, there are other reasons. It's not just happens chance that something bad happened. There, there, there is a good God behind this. Well, maybe I need to get in God's word. Take Sherry's notes from this week. Look up every one of those verses and spend a little time thinking about it. It was good for me to be afflicted because now I'm learning your word. It was good for me to be afflicted because I'm learning to trust you. When you're five years old and your dad says no more ice cream, there, there, there's no joy in Mudville there. You just think he's mean. But, but, but you get on the other side of 25 or something and have a couple of kids of your own, and you tell your children at some point, no, they can't have that second bowl of ice cream, you're going to hear your dad's voice, and you're going to say to yourself, you know what? He had nothing but my best interest in heart. He just, he just knew better. It was good for me to be afflicted because I'm learning to trust you. And that's an important thing. It's good for me, fourthly, to, to have been afflicted because I'm learning to delight in your word. It's, it's not just I have to get in it, but I want to get in it. Romans 12, 12 says, be happy in your confidence, be patient in trouble, and pray continually. That's a mature attitude. That takes a little while to get there. To be able to delight in something that's painful... That's, that's Ph.D. Christianity there. That's maturity. But we're not going to get there unless we have those experiences. And lastly, it was good for me to be afflicted because I realized once again that you are, and the word is preserving or sustaining or reviving my life. You are in charge. And I know this right there, Psalm 119, 107, because or according to your word. I am sustained by my roots in God's word. If you find yourself this morning in a situation where you're overwhelmed with any form of affliction, I am here to tell you this is, this is an okay moment. I'm not saying it's pleasant. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying it's joy-filled. I'm not saying it's not something you'd say no thank you to. But I am saying you are serving a good God. And in that, you need to rest. Get in his word. Let him sustain you. Let him teach you. Let him encourage you. And soon you're going to have a perspective about that that's a lot more mature than just no thank you. It might be, okay, I need a lot of help, Lord, but I'm ready. Okay, it's tough. Not choosing it, but you and me. I'd rather do that through the dark then, then, then try to avoid it and act like it's not there. Because it is there, one form or another. We just need to get in God's word, get some tools, and deal with it. Let me pray. Lord, we need to be sustained by our roots. Psalm 19 has so much to say about daily living. And this one, to be able to say it was good that I was afflicted. That is, 
That is tough. So thank you for the word of God that, that has all that we need. We can feast on it. Help us to be students of your word so that we don't go through life just eating junk. That we have a balanced diet that can sustain life even during the afflictions. We love you today, Lord, and we trust that you are indeed good. In Jesus' name, amen.